Okay, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll start talking here and then uh, people will file in as they come. Before we begin, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful message of the gospel. We pray that as we look at it this morning and we think of what your son has done for us, that you might grip our hearts, that we might genuinely have a burden for the lost and a desire, as Paul did, to tell others about him and uh, his wonderful work for them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, we're going to start off the first two weeks of the evangelism series on the message that saves, which is called the gospel. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Very well-known verse. Verse 16. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Every time I read this verse or verses like it, like it I get excited. I hope you do too. It doesn't look like you do. But I hope you will. You understand what Paul is saying here. You know, people walk the streets. I walked the streets and went through life for 25 years and thought you got to heaven by being a good person. That's what everybody outside this chapel, except for a very small number, is thinking right now. You realize that? They still think to this day they're going to get to heaven by being a good person. What does it say here? How do you get to heaven? By believing a message. Man, that's a little different, isn't it? Praise God. Uh, you want to do good works? How many you do, do you do? What kind do you do? How often do you do them? How good do they have to be? When are you done? Well, of course, we know now you're never done because you can't do good enough works to get to heaven at all. It's a dead-end street. Praise God. It's believing a message called the gospel. I can do that, huh? Man. That's good. Okay, that's good news right there. The message itself is called good news because it talks about the Lord Jesus dying for our sins. But that's good news to me also, the fact that I can be saved just by believing this message. Praise God, I can do that. So that's what we're going to look at this, this morning and the next week is this message, how to present it. Uh, mainly the content, but we'll give a few pointers as we go along the way in, uh, in how you work with a person when you're sharing the gospel. So before we get started now, let's uh, get outside of ourselves and think about what we're doing when we're dealing with a person who hopefully is seeking God. You want someone, obviously, who is, is interested in knowing God. If you're talking to somebody who doesn't care about it, well, then you need to go back to square one. But if you're working with someone who really wants to hear uh, the good news, how do you get to heaven, then we need to understand where god is working because uh we're not the ones that save a person okay that's a great relief to me i don't know about you it's god that does the work okay from beginning to end it's god now you may share words along the way and that's great he'll use that but he is the one who does the work from beginning to end in the in the heart of the person unseen and we know uh the primary thrust of his work because jesus tells us he says the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting or really convincing 
men of three things sin righteousness and judgment that's interesting that he describes that as the ministry of the holy spirit having had experience and if you've been a believer for any time at all you understand why those are the three focal areas as he works in the heart of people because those are the three things that number one they don't understand i didn't understand it number two that they don't want to believe and so he is con- literally trying to convince them of the truth of their sin of what real righteousness is and of the certain judgment that they are facing do people want to believe that no i didn't so realize that's what you're facing when you're sharing with a person think about it uh, i had to and if you're saved you had to get to this point and so will this other person they have to be brought to the point to where they're willing to agree with god that where they stand right now they don't deserve to go to heaven in fact they only deserve to go to hell that's a long way to take them they don't want to go there right i didn't uh, and a lot of it is rooted in the fact that we don't like criticism <laughs> i don't like to be told what a bad person i am the problem is it's true and so the holy spirit if you think about it that's quite a job he has isn't it to try to convince people of the truth about themselves that they're uh as uh dear norman used to say all the time i love it when you say we're dirty rotten sinners that's it it's the truth and that's what the holy spirit is trying to do in every single heart right now okay i can tell you right now across the world he is constantly 24 hours a day working in people's hearts in one way or another through their conscience or through uh, events around them trying to get them to see that they don't deserve heaven in fact that they deserve the judgment of god that's where we want to cooperate with the holy spirit you see now having said that that's why this whole first week is going to be spent on the bad news because when you share the gospel with someone that's the most difficult part to get over uh, you don't want to go any further than the holy spirit has gone in the person's life okay okay first corinthians 3 wonderful verse we are co-laborers with god i love that verse the picture is we're working alongside of god particularly in this area and he is trying to you you have a person over you're talking to he's trying to convince them deep down inside yes that they're sinners and that they deserve hell and they're fighting it all the, no no i'm not that bad i'm basically a good person you know and i want to know how far he has gotten in the heart of this person as i work with that person if i get ahead of the holy spirit i'm on my own and i'm totally ineffective and if the holy spirit is still trying to uh, convince them of the basics about sin well then that's where i need to be so uh historically when i share with a person i spend more time on the bad news than on the good news by the way the good news is really the gospel isn't it proper uh when we say the gospel it means good news but uh you don't start right off with the cross it's a it's a very interesting thing i don't know if you ever thought about it you can share with someone the cross right off the bat what jesus did on the cross and they could repeat a prayer after you they could be sincere in the prayer and yet they won't be saved because we must be convinced of our sin of our need first it's very interesting and so that's what we're going to talk about this morning the beginning of uh, sharing the gospel 
and that is the bad news. Okay, uh, now just a little pointer. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have a whole uh, week or probably several on the idea of uh, making transitions. When we talk about evangelism, there's going to be a lot of areas we're going to look at, including the art of conversation. How good are you at listening? How good are you at asking questions, asking the right questions? That's a skill that needs to be developed. Um, but one of the things that's a good skill to learn is how to make transitions from ordinary subjects to spiritual things. And a good transition into the gospel, it's gonna be, it's gonna, you're going to be underwhelmed when you hear it because it's so simple, is this. Ask them, do you know what the gospel is? And uh, it's interesting. I found most of the time people say it's, e uh, it's either the Bible, that's the most common response, or the really smart ones will say, oh yeah, that's the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. You'd be surprised. People really don't know what this message is. That excites me, by the way. I love asking questions like that at the beginning. You find out that people really don't understand and don't know what the central message of the Bible is. That, that's great. Because the next question is, well, would you like to hear the Gospel? I've never had anybody say no. Uh, they hear it, if nothing else, their curiosity is piqued, you know. You hope that also they're seeking God. But uh, if, you can, if they'll give you a hearing to uh, listen to the gospel, boy, that's great. I get excited about that. Okay, uh, and often, in fact, I'll turn here to Romans 1.16 as kind of a preliminary and show them this verse and basically say what I just said, that... Uh, uh, you know, you don't get to heaven by doing something, that is, uh, doing good works, but by believing a message, because God says so right here. Okay? Now, um, they are tried and true questions, but uh, if they work, then, you know, don't uh, try to come up with something new. The two, they're called the Kennedy questions because of James Kennedy, the pastor at Coral Ridge uh, uh, Presbyterian Church in Florida, wrote a book oh, back in the 60s called Evangelism Explosion. Most of you aren't uh, probably old enough to remember it. But um, he's the one that came up with the two questions, and you've heard them before. Number one, if you die tonight, you know for sure you'd go to heaven. That's a great question, okay, in, in evangelism. Because it, it, plus the other question, you determine their stand. You find out where they are right now. And by the way, having said that, sharing the gospel is not preaching. If ever there was a time when we need to constantly ask the person questions, find out where they are, are you understanding? Do you believe that? It's sharing the gospel. And so it's good at the beginning, rather than just starting running off on this message and you have no idea where they are spiritually, let's find out so we know what we're dealing with. And you find out by asking those two questions. The first one, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Depending on their answer, you learn a lot. The, sometimes it's, uh, I don't know. That's good, that's fine. They're probably not a Christian then, right? Uh, sometimes they'll say yes, usually in a kind of a hesitant way. And that's fine, that's good. Uh, sometimes, probably more often, well, maybe, you know, I don't know, but I think so, something like that. Well, that's good, that tells you something. I'm trying to think. Uh, maybe once I've heard somebody say no. 
But that's good. Now, you've, you've got a handle on where they are. And even if they say, yes, I think so, don't freak out like, oh, no, now what do I do? You know, because the next question will clarify that because the next question is, if you were to die tonight and God uh, said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, that's a good question. That's not a yes or no question. In fact, what you're asking them is, what is your basis for thinking you're going to heaven? That's a great question. And um, it's, it's great because you find out. And by the way, when you ask people these questions, sometimes they're kind of sheepish and, you know, they don't want to answer. Or they, they, don't know, they can't think about what the answer is or something. Particularly in this one, just give them time. You know, don't pressure them. Sometimes they really haven't thought it through. You know, it's basically potluck. You know, well, I'll just wait until I die and I'll find out then. That's terrible. But that's the way a lot of people think. And usually, as you, as you know, the answer, even churched people will say something like, well, I'm basically a good person, you know. Uh, I try to follow the golden rule. Can you imagine that, following the golden rule? Do you follow the golden rule? Do you, treat other, do you love other people the way you love yourself? <laughs> I wish I did. Uh, I try to keep the commandments. Uh, they might even say, well, I go to mass, I go to church. You know, what are they list things that they do? But the point is, the cross is not, a, not in it at all. Again, uh, these questions for me serve two purposes. They find, it shows you where they're coming from, you know, what they're really basing their eternal hope on. And secondly, it gets me excited because when I hear what they're basing their salvation on and I know that there is a solid foundation waiting for them, I get excited, you know, that you have some good news for them. So determine their stand. And you want to really be clear on this because uh, later on now, when you get through the gospel, uh, sometimes people are going to want to say, oh, I've always believed that. You know, you go through all this time and then they say, oh, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I believe. You know, of course, if they do that, they're playing games with God. That's, that's terrible. Not many people will do that, but we'll have some. That's why you ask these questions up front. Because then you can say, but wait a minute, remember when we started, I asked you that question? And you said it was because you're basically being a good person. Okay. Uh, so, we're going to uh, look at what, what I call the bad news. And uh, I've been doing it this way for 30 years, and, and uh, God has used it. If you have your own outline, that's fine. Um, whatever works for you. But remember, however you do it, uh, you're going to want to... Get to the point with a person to where they readily acknowledge that as they stand right now, they have hope, no hope of heaven. Okay? If, if they don't get to that point, there's no point in going to the, the cross. They don't need the cross. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit to catch up. For the Holy Spirit to finally, you know, knock out that last prop they think they've got until there are no props left. Then they'll be ready for the gospel proper. All right, so... And I, I, I like doing it this way because I start at Genesis and I end in Revelation. In fact, I almost begin on the very first page and I almost end on the last page. So it shows the consistency of the Bible and it really drives home the point of sin and the certainty of judgment for sin. All right, so let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. 
And I love this. God begins right away saying uh, what the criteria is, what the uh, requirements are. Genesis 2, verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay. By the way, when you uh, go through the gospel with someone, always make sure they have a Bible and have them read the verse. Uh, If you end up doing all the talking, you do all the reading and everything, it's going to go like this. And it really makes a difference if you have them read the verse. Because that way they internalize it and they're forced to think about it and understand it. You want them to understand the Word of God. And this is real simple. They would know this uh, passage. Even if they don't go to church, they'd know this. But the wonderful thing about this passage is that we already have the principle that we're going to drive home now for the rest of the time in the bad news. And that is the penalty for sin is, what does it say here? death that's right now we're used to that as believers we know that that's that's a shocker for a lot of people you know you have to realize again remember where they're coming from it's where you were coming from before you were saved or at least where i was coming from sin is not all that bad right really it may be worse than the common cold maybe not you know but it certainly doesn't have fatal consequences it's something everybody does you know and God kind of overlooks and it's no big deal. And so we want to overcome. That's why the Holy Spirit is in the world convincing men of sin because they don't know what it is. And they don't understand how serious it is. So here God says plainly, the penalty for sin is death. And that's what you're after here in this verse. We're laying that down. Let me just tell you ahead of time what you're thinking inside, what you're trying to show this person. Number one, that the penalty for sin is death. And secondly, that they must and will pay that penalty. The certainty of judgment. Those two things. Because those are the two things we don't want to believe. Okay. Now, we're going to make a big jump to the right to Ezekiel 18. And as we go through it, we're going to see uh, what we started with in Genesis reinforced as we go through the Bible. Ezekiel 18. And again, you're having them read it. We're not going to have long passages, so I've never had anybody object or anything when you ask them to read it. Verse 4 of Ezekiel 18. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins... What? Shall die. There, isn't that clear? The soul who sins shall die. Boy, it's so clear. I love that. And we're going to have two verses in Ezekiel. They say the same thing. And in each case, we're going to have a little uh, side product from the verse because there's another thought in the verse that we can use to, as Gene used to say, close doors. Uh, when a person is thinking about their eternal soul and what's going to happen when they die, they envision all these open doors that they're going to escape from from the judgment of God. I did, okay? There's got to be a way out. Well, there isn't one, as we know, except one. It's a little door, but it's passable, and it's where the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. But that's not the one they're thinking of. They think there's all these other doors about what a good person I am, 
or you know god overlooks our sin because we're after all but dust you know all these thoughts do you ever have those i did before i was saved there's some way out and we want to close those doors okay <laughs> and this is a door closer because it does away uh with uh one of the uh, misconceptions about the judgment of god it says Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul of sin shall die. He's not saying, this is not the uh, universality of uh, uh, salvation or the brotherhood of man. He's saying there's no one outside my jurisdiction. All souls are mine. I'm going to make sure that everybody's going to answer for their sin. That's what he's saying. All souls are mine. You got that? I like that. The next one is even better. Verse 20. He starts off again with that thought, the soul who sins shall die. Boy, is it ever clear? No ifs, no conditional clauses. The soul who sins shall die. Then he adds, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. I love that. Uh, One of the fundamental principles of psychology is, The reason you do the things you do is because of the way you were raised, because of your parents, because of your teacher, because of your preacher, and so on. They uh, affected you negatively in some way or positively, and therefore you act because or your environment. Whatever it is, the bottom line is I don't have a free will. I act because of, you know, the influences around me, right? You know, the reason I got upset was because... Ever said that before? (laughs) Not because I'm a sinner, because you made me do it, you know. Well, God says something else here. When I sin, I don't care what the sin is. It's real simple with God. The sin's right here, okay? It starts and stops right here. It's not on my dad. It's what he says. Not on my mom, you know, not on my friend. It's here. I did it. It's nobody else's fault. It's mine. I chose to do it. Okay. Okay. Now we're going to go to Romans. And when we um, had our overview of Romans, remember, I said the theme of that is the gospel. Chapter 1, Romans 1. Some people will share the gospel just staying in the book of Romans. It's a wonderful, happy hunting ground for gospel verses. But now we're going to get up close and personal. Uh, as long as we just talk about the idea of sin in general, it really doesn't hit home. In fact, you ask uh, most people, particularly churchgoers, particularly Catholics, you know, uh, are you a sinner? Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. You know, yeah, they're used to that word. It's not serious. You know, everybody's a sinner. It's not that bad. Uh, and so we've got to get beyond the, uh, the general idea of the word. And let's see what sin really is. Let's, let's talk about some specific sins. And it really... I'll tell you, it's an eye-opener. Uh, every time I go through this, people go, "Woo!" you know? They're used to murder and robbery, you know, uh, rape, uh, counterfeiting, you know, things you go to prison for. <laughs> well, God has a different kind of a list here in Romans 1. Verse 29, being filled with, here's the list, all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness full of envy murder strife deceit evil-mindedness they are whisperers backbiters haters of god violent proud boasters inventors of evil things disobedient to parents 
undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Okay, we've been talking about sin. Now let's think about some examples. And when you're talking with a person, be honest, be open. You know, I find myself in this list. Do you? You know, more than once. But let's let's even go beyond that. Let's think about uh, maybe one or two of them here. For example, you ever coveted? And this is the way you do it. You know, ask them that. And then describe what that is. Let's think about it. Covetousness. Uh, that's where you, you, you've got to have something so bad. You ever had that experience? You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is God says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Your whole energy is supposed to be focused on loving Him. And when we covet something, when we put that something before our eyes and say, I've got to have it, we've replaced God. Okay? Now, that doesn't seem so serious to people, but it is to God because He wants and He deserves to be first place in our hearts. And that's why He has it on the list. Covetousness. We've somehow convinced ourselves but have, that having this thing is going to make us happy when the only thing that's going to make us happy is having God. Malicious. That's, uh, you ever deliberately hurt someone? Now, I don't mean you punched them in the face. Maybe you've done that. But with words. Have you ever deliberately said something to someone and you knew it was going to hurt them, but you said it anyway? In fact, you said it because it was going to hurt them. <laughs> yeah? I've never had anybody say no to that. But you see, now they're really thinking. We've talked about sin in theory. Now we're really thinking about what it really is. And we realize, yeah, I've done that. I've done that a lot. Envy. Envy, uh, there's someone in your life that uh, you just wish they weren't quite so popular or successful or smart or whatever it is about them, you know? In fact, you're dying for the day when they fall on their face. Envy. It's interesting to me, uh, and people are shocked when they see this, what's the next word you see there after envy? Now, isn't that it? Would we have put that there? Right between envy and strife? No. We'd have a separate list. <laughs> no, now murder goes over here. God has the audacity to put it right between two, what we would say are trivial sins. He doesn't make it special. Why? Because the heart of envy is the same as the heart of murder. It's just the murder goes farther. Envy, you, you, if you're envious enough of a person, you get to the point to where you just, you can't stand being around them, you know? And you would th you think the world would be a lot better place if they just weren't in it. Ah. Where does a murderer start? Well, that's where he begins. The only difference between him and you is that he carries it out. Well, see, we make a distinction there. You can go ahead and think all you want as long as you don't do anything about it. Well, that's fine around humans, but God's not like that, you see. He hates the thought. And the thought can be there, and we can just be, you know, smiling and saying nice things, and the most terrible things can be going on up here, can't they? God sees it. He hates it. This is where the Holy Spirit will begin to convince them of righteousness, you see. They have no concept of what real righteousness is. And when we talk like this, they begin to understand that I thought I was righteous, but I'm not, you see. Uh, deceit. 
Everybody's done that. And, and again, you know, talk, be honest, I've done this, you know. Dece- you ever deceived anybody? You ever deliberately lied to somebody, told them something that wasn't true so they would think one thing is true rather than another? <laughs> Have you ever exaggerated? <laughs> yeah, that's lying, that's deceit. It's not, Jesus didn't do that. Whisperers and backbiters, that's, that's the same as gossip. Everybody's gossip. You ever talked about anybody behind their back? You know, do you like it when somebody does it to you? Ever gotten back to you? You know, you know what so and so said about you? How do you feel? Well, how do you think the other person feels when you do it? You know, it's terrible. It's destructive. It's hurtful. It's things that people sometimes will never forget. That's why it's on this list. Proud. Oh, now, come on. That's good. That's good. Right? We're taught that. You know, you need to be proud of yourself. Self-image, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's a wonderful verse later in the book of Romans. It says, let no man think more highly of himself than he ought. (laughs) What do you have that you didn't receive? I like that. So somebody's proud. Uh, Maybe they're smart. Maybe they're good looking, you know. Maybe they're a good athlete. Maybe they're a great singer or they're popular for some reason or they have something better than everybody else and they're proud. Well, you know where they got that from? That ability, the the looks or whatever it is. Are they responsible for it? No, they got it from God. That's right. How often do they thank God for it? You know, look how great I am. Pride. We have nothing to be proud about. Not in the presence of God. That's why he's got it on the list. Well, we're not going to look at all of them. Uh, Every time I choose a different set from this list, it is so wonderful. Because as you go through it, people begin to get honest. And they say, "Uh, hey, you know, I'm a worse sinner than I thought I was, you know. But the last one is, uh, I like this one, inventors of evil things. Inventors of evil things. You ever invented an evil thing? What that means is, you know you're going to do something wrong. You're going to plan on it. You know? You, you, you plan exactly how you're going to do it. Often you throw the deceit in because you want to make sure nobody found out you did it. So you make sure you do it in such a way that nobody knows. You know? Inventors of evil things. That's, that's a good description. Now I know you're all too nice of people and nobody has ever done that. Okay? But I have. Inventors of evil things. God hates that. We're good at it. We plan ahead to do something evil and then do it. Okay. You go through that little while and I'll tell you, you're not doing anybody favors if you don't do something like this because sin is just a theory until we see it from the Word of God and we see ourselves in it and we see it in us. Well, notice verse 32. What does it say? Who, it's talking about everybody, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, and we've just established that's exactly what we do, are deserving of death. There it is again. Death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You could go through the list. You could find just about every one of them is approved of in some way or another. If nothing else, we're approving of it, number one, by doing it, and number two, explaining why it was okay after we've done it. But God hasn't changed his tune. Knowing those who do such things are worthy of death. It hasn't changed. 
Same thing. God started in Genesis 2, Genesis 2, Ezekiel, and now he says it again in Romans. Okay. Uh, now we want to close a big door. This is the biggest door of all. It's like that double door there. You know, that's the one people see. That's the way I'm going to escape. Is uh, I'm, I'm basically a good person. Yeah, I've done some of these things, but, you know, you get to know me, you know I'm a pretty nice guy. And that's, that's what's going to uh, get me out. Well, the fundamental thinking there is that somehow doing good things offsets doing bad things, isn't it? I used to think that. Now, the silly thing is that we're talking about law here. Does that work it with law, Tom? You get a guy in court and you got the evidence against him. He's pulled the trigger. He's killed that guy. Is the lawyer going to come in and say, wait a minute, let me get all the uh, civil codes and the state codes and the federal codes and look at all the laws he's kept. That's got to be good for something, right? Does that work? No. And that's what God says here in Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, that is good, good, good works, keeping the law, okay? No flesh will be justified in his sight. There, God says it. No, it ain't going to work. Why? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the, good, all, the only thing that the law is good for is to tell me when I've broken it. And we've already seen that in the end of chapter 1, haven't we? I've broken the law all over the place. You know, do you ever get a letter from the uh, city or the county or the state saying, what a good law keeper you are. We've noticed. You've kept all these laws. That's really good. We've made a note of that. You are now free to break seven laws. Huh? That's silly. You see, it's funny how we apply a different uh, principle to God. And this is God's laws. Man, if we can't play those kind of games with men's laws, you can't do it with God's laws. And he says so. You break the law. The only question at that point is, not how many have you kept the question is what's the penalty for breaking that law right tom that's it and the judge knows you know you got this leeway uh, 10 to 20 years to life well in god's book we already saw what the penalty is and there's only one and it's death okay you see you feel the doors closing i don't know about you i do every time i go through this it reminds me and i praise god what i've been saved from Okay, uh, we're gonna, before we end up in Revelation at the great, great white throne, we make one stop because as we near the picture of judgment, we've shown the sin, okay, Lord willing. Now, if you go through that Roman section and you really have a person who says, no, I haven't ever done any of that, you know, all these things I have done from my youth, as the uh, rich young ruler said, well, then that means the Holy Spirit has not gotten past square one. If God has not done it, well then, look, just stop. Don't you go ahead of the Holy Spirit. Wait for God to catch up, okay? If they're willing, spend some more time on sin. But if it's clear they're just not open, then leave them to God, you know, pray for them. But if they have gotten that far, and, and you can see, and usually people will, when you get through Romans 1, they recognize, I'm in a lot more worse shape than I thought I was. Now we're going to, nail the last nail in the coffin by showing the certainty of the judgment for that sin and the stop off here in hebrews 9 wonderful verse verse 27 and as it is appointed for men 
to die once, but after this, the judgment. I like that. By the way, for our uh, Indian friends here, this shoots down reincarnation, doesn't it? Says you die once, once, and after that, judgment. That's it. And um, you know, we have an expression. There are two certain things in life: death and what. Ah, see, you know it, don't you? Taxes. That's right. Well, there are actually three. <laughs> God says so. He says you have two appointments. I like that. It's a point. I like that. Two appointments. I don't know what my appointment is. You know, I could go out and get a calendar for whatever year it is I'm going to die. God knows what it is. There's a day. And I could put that up on my wall and circle uh, the day on the month that I'm going to die. That's an appointment I'm going to keep. You know that? Now, I could have that appointment or that calendar up on my wall, and I don't know that day. It's coming, but I don't know it. And if you're like me, you know, you're writing appointments all over the place. You could have appointments well past that date. You know what? You're not going to keep any of them because there's an appointment you didn't have marked on there and it's called death. You're going to keep that appointment. That's what God says. And he says, just as sure as you're going to keep that appointment, you have another one. And it's in the court of God. Yeah, the judgment. It's appointed. You haven't, you ha- you, it's like going to court here in, uh, in, well, up there in Hayward, you know, or here in Fremont. You get a court date. Well, you have one with God for certain. That's what he says. It's appointed to man once to die and after this, the judgment. Well, you know, God didn't have to do this, but he did. He actually shows us a picture of that judgment and it's in Revelation chapter 21. Oh, pardon me, chapter 20. The great white throne. And he describes in detail the scene. Remember, all along, God has been saying, the penalty for sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. Those who commit such things are worthy of death. We're going to see what he's talking about. First of all, we're going to see that he never lied, that he was telling the truth all the time. And we're going to see what that death is. It's the lake of fire. Revelation 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and i saw the dead small and great standing before god and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death Notice that second death is the lake of fire. Now, you're not going to see. So God put the good on one side and the bad on the other. And if the good was heavier, that person went to heaven. What does it say? And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay. So we've done a couple of things. We've shown the certainty of the judgment. And we've finally shown what that penalty that we've been reading about is death. It's the second death. That's what pays for sin. Physical death doesn't pay for sin. We know that because these people are called the dead. They've already died physically. But to pay for their sins, they're thrown into the lake of fire. And we know from the rest of the scripture that it's forever. Forever. I remember I had a a guy um, in uh, Hayward 
After we finished that, he just sat there real silent and he closed the book and pushed it away. He didn't want to see it. I mean, he wasn't being rude. He was scared. Because he realized when we finally got to this point that this was him. This is where he was headed. And, and look, that's the best thing in the world. If you can see someone get to that point. Until you get there, you can't be saved. What, what's the word God uses to describe someone who's going to heaven? They're saved. Why does he use that word? Because we're saved from something, a terrible thing, from this. Praise God. But we're not going to be saved until we realize how great our peril is and acknowledge it before God. Okay, so you get to this point, you want to pause and ask them, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Ask them that question again. And if they still hang on to, well, you know, I know what you're saying, I know what it says in the Bible, but then you better stop. You know, you can, you can, you, if they're willing to talk, go ahead and review, go back and look at some of the passages. You can use other uh, passages. You know, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's a good one in Isaiah. Um, but you want to be working with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit still has not convinced them of the certainty of their, their own judgment. Until he does so, you can't go any further. You want to be co-laboring uh, with the Holy Spirit in their heart. So you want to get to the point to where they've just run out of excuses. And I don't know what the percentage is. Probably about a third of the time, people will get to this point and they'll finally run out of excuses. And they'll say, yeah, that's me. What can I do? You know, that's great. Praise God. <clears throat> don't be discouraged if they don't fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? Uh, remember, this is the work of God. He's not in a hurry. He'd like to see them come right now but if they're refusing he cannot make and he will not force them i could tell you story after story of people that i've shared with many of you know many of them i've gone through this with them and uh, i'm thinking of a couple of young ladies over a period of a couple of years they were just so sweet and they got to this point and they just couldn't see it and so we quit and they left and in each case one in one case it was a couple of months later and the other was a couple of weeks they had to come over right now to my house. And they had to come over because the Holy Spirit had finally caught up. It was, God used it, you see. Don't expect uh, a miracle to happen every time. And remember, it's God who does it anyway. And uh, they were ready for the good news. And it was like a cup of cold water when you share the gospel at that point, you know. They know they're going to hell. It's been killing them. This one uh, young woman, she was such a sweet lady. You look at her and you get to know her and you think, she's not a sinner, you know. I can see why she has trouble. But she's a sinner, like, and she knew it. And God began to work on her and work on her. And I'll never forget it. Uh, she had a husband who was uh, not a nice guy. And the guy never kept a job. Uh, he was into drugs. And he, he treated her in a bad way. And she told me a letter. She shared with him. She said, um, I got to go see Rick. I realize I'm going to hell. And it freaked him out. He said, if you're going to hell, what's going to happen to me? You know, but that's the grace of God. He, he continued. He wouldn't let go of her. And finally, when she got done, I mean, you, should, you think she was a criminal. You know, it was the grace. Of, it was the work of God, the Holy Spirit in her heart. And he brought her to that point. So when we went to the good news, 
Oh, she was so glad to understand that there was a way out. And that's the good news. Now, we still haven't shared it yet, okay? But I can't stress enough, you're not doing anybody favors by just jumping right ahead. Let's hurry up and get to the cross. You're going to inoculate them against the gospel. Don't do that. Wherever God is working, that's where I want to be. And so if he is trying to convince them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, then that's what we're going to keep doing until God has finally convinced them. Okay, well, we're going to leave you there, but uh, there's good news coming, and we'll look at that next week. So let's close in prayer now. Father, we thank you for your word. Where would we be without it? Lord, we tend to have such high opinions of ourselves, and uh, it's easy to be self-deceived. We thank you for your word that speaks the truth about us, not because you like to tell us how bad we are, but because you want to alert us to the danger that's coming, and more importantly, to open our eyes to the wonderful, wonderful way out, the cross of Christ. Lord, we pray that we who know you might uh, have a fresh desire to tell others this wonderful news about the one who did indeed open the way to heaven through through his own death and resurrection. Lord, we ask for your help in Jesus' precious name. Amen.